Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a change in worldview may be due for the government's cyber community. We always tend to think of cybersecurity as being a very complex thing where a hacker comes up with all kinds of crazy opportunities to get in. But the reality is that, you know, those are few and far between. And OPM turns up the volume on tools to help agencies hire better and faster. All the agencies have received a strategic talent hiring questionnaire to specify their needs. We just released a search hiring playbook. It's Friday, December 10th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department will create a new office to oversee the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Defense Digital Service, and DOD's Chief Data Officer. A memo from Deputy Secretary of Defense Kath Hicks says the office will, quote, serve as the department's senior office for data, AI, and digital solutions. The office of the Chief Digital and AI Officer will open February 1st. Leaders expected to reach full operational capability in June of next year. Agnes Schaefer will become the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Manpower and Reserve Affairs if the Senate confirms her. President Biden nominated her for the job Wednesday. She's done research on military manpower issues for the RAND Corporation since 2005. You can read more about all these stories and lots of others at fedscoop.com. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is working on a zero-trust playbook for the federal government. Zero Trust was one of the drivers behind the White House Executive Order on Cybersecurity. Andre Mendez is the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. My colleague Wyatt Cash asked him recently if the White House Executive Order on Cybersecurity has reshaped his agency's cyber strategy. I wouldn't say it reshaped it, but it gave us additional impetus in order to pursue some of the of the uh, of the architectures and some of the solutions that we were already deploying at some of our bureaus and that we are already considering at some of the other bureaus. So, you know, the uh, the impetus for zero trust architecture, uh, you know, started, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. We started doing a lot of work f- with the ITA towards that. But this this just raised basically crystallized it in terms of, uh, of a general direction uh, that is not only sort of best practices and on the on the advanced cusp of the of the uh, of the cybersecurity arena, but also now sort of an operational imperative. And so from that standpoint, that additional impetus was important, especially because uh, it also allowed us to uh, frame our uh, progress and our direction uh, better with Congress within the framework of the of the uh, of the EO, and as a result, I think be a little more successful in our uh, plea for specific funds to dedicate to this uh, to this particular uh, change, which I think is both absolutely necessary uh, and is going to be very fruitful. Well, and then how is the government's willingness to allow employees to work remotely uh, altered your approach to things like identity and multi-factor authentication? Well, interestingly enough, it hasn't hasn't changed that that much, right? Because uh, telework was already a substantial part of what we were doing before. 
uh, a lot of our bureaus had a very strong telework presence, some by virtue of the way they wanted to manage their, their workforce and the workload, and others because of what they do effectively uh, as part of their mission. So you look at PTO, for example, and it has been you know, long established as one of the leaders in, in uh, remote workforce and telework. And so they had a very robust system associated with that. Census, of course, had uh, just come out of the decennial, and they had a massive remote workforce, albeit temporary, right, uh, to do data collection associated with the census. Uh, and an organization like NOAA, for example, is so geographically dispersed uh, that it might as well be remote work, uh, you know, effectively with all of the sensors and all of the different weather stations throughout the country, it just, it becomes effectively a remote environment. Uh, for us at the Department of Commerce proper at the uh, Office of the Secretary, it had been an integral part of our strategy at ITA because of their global presence. It had to be part of the equation as well. And so this again was just a reinforcement that some of the best practices that we had put in place and some of the architectural designs and structures that we had put in place fit right in into the needs that were brought on uh, by, by the pandemic. And so it, uh, it fit very well with our general statement of direction. I think it's easy to underestimate how leading edge really many of the divisions of the Department of Commerce have been in uh, facilitating remote work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to know though, how is your agency moving toward a more human-centric cybersecurity model, for instance, by helping equip employees to deal with things like the growing threat of ransomware and phishing attacks? Mm, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of a, we always tend to think of cybersecurity as being a very complex thing where a hacker comes up with all kinds of crazy opportunities to get in. But the reality is that, you know, those are few and far between. The large majority of the big breaks uh, are driven by phishing, phishing exercises that have become increasingly sophisticated and more, sophi more sophisticated, and also, you know, just uh, you know, uh, pernicious, absolutely pernicious. Uh, you know, it's no longer script kiddies that are trying to to get into a system. Is very well organized efforts by sometimes by uh, by state-backed uh, uh, you know perpetrators, and so they have become increasingly difficult to filter. So what we're doing is we are putting in place and have continued to implement an education campaign so that people learn to recognize that even though these are incredibly sophisticated, there are still opportunities to look at origins of emails and figure out exactly whether or not they are legitimate. Uh, but I will tell you, they are sometimes very compelling. And sometimes it takes me a couple of looks to really, uh, to really ascertain the uh, you know, the legitimacy or not of the particular uh, content uh, and, and I'm educated in these things. So, but we're educating our employees on a constant basis. Well, it's certainly getting more challenging for all of us. Maybe last question for you, uh, Andre, what steps are being implemented uh, at the Department of Commerce, you know, help your organization's employees create and manage their passwords more effectively? Well, uh, you know, there, there are various, various aspects to that. One is we're very much driving uh, towards an integrated ICAM solution 
that is going to enable us to go into a single sign-on type of environment where there's not a multiplicity of passwords for different systems that put a tremendous burden, a tremendous onus on the employees to not only come up with different passwords for different systems, but also, you know, memorize them and keep them, which invariably leads to the little yellow, uh, you know, postie that has it right by the side of their computer, right? Therefore, invalidating all of those security principles. But the other one is, uh, of course, a reliance on PIV cards uh, as the main authentication mechanism, uh, reliance on having a third, uh, you know, stage of authentication to a cell phone with uh, required for a code to be entered or for an approval to be given, which now would require uh, the bad guys to have multiple, multiple pieces of hardware and information in order to get in. Um, and finally, you know, we're very much looking at biometrics and what the possibilities for that uh, are in the in the near future, because it's going to be a constantly evolving environment. And as you get into a zero trust architecture, you know, that ability to establish that identity, it becomes all encompassing uh, and absolutely necessary. So it's an evolving environment, but I think that we are uh, making all of the right steps in all of the right directions in order to ensure that uh, that our employees are well equipped to deal with these challenges. Well, Andre Mendez, thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes to share some of the work that you're doing and some of the initiatives you're taking at the Department of Commerce to uh, help your employees be more secure. Oh, entirely my pleasure. I, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to work with a cadre of individuals that are just absolutely, you know, creme de la creme. And so uh, it, uh, it, it makes my job a lot easier that way. The Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department, Andre Mendez, with my colleague Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to watch the video of Wyatt and Andre in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming next week, the new chair of the Defense Business Board, the former Secretary of the Air Force, Deborah Lee James, and Congressman Jerry Connolly. The next Daily Scoop podcast rolls out Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com, and you'll hear Secretary James and Congressman Connolly next week at fedscoop.com and wherever else you get your shows. The Office of Personnel Management starting now on recommendations the National Academy of Public Administration made to fix the agency. Napa did its work after Congress mandated that it examine OPM and report on steps for the agency to take. Kieran Ahuja is director of OPM. She told the audience at an event Napa hosted recently her agency is already working on implementing those recommendations. Our FY2226 strategic plan as well as uh, our upcoming uh, budget proposals um, are all incorporating uh, the work that was uh, and the recommendations that were in that report. So taken together, I think this really demonstrates a clear path for OPM to deliver on its charge now and well into the future. And so as we turn to you know, putting those plans into action, we're really focused on some very specific policy priorities to guide our actions in this pivotal moment from a talent surge to meet our infrastructure needs to rebuilding the federal workforce in the wake of sustained attrition to ensuring the age profile and skill sets of the federal workforce meets the, the needs of the moment. We will be helping um, and are helping agencies rebuild and retain the workforce, the federal workforce uh, by hiring people with the right skills and the right jobs, drawing from the broad diversity of the American people and attracting early career talent who can build um, a real career in public service. 
you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, ensuring every federal job is a good job that restores federal service as a pathway to the middle class. And we're defining the future of work. I mean, I think we all are in many ways, um, but as being the largest employer in this country, you know, for the federal government to really embrace what it means to be in this complete new work revolution and to serve as a model employer during a very historic transformation in how we think about work. So, um, as we're, uh, so as we think about just the work ahead and these different results, I do wanna share with you uh, just a little bit of a recap of our 2021 accomplishments and hopefully you're taking notes and I'll share a little bit about what we're thinking about for 2022, um, just to give us a little bit uh, to chat about. Um, so first I wanna mention just within OPM itself and how we are elevating the agency. In FY21 alone, OPM has onboarded more than 340 people. And so we're working very hard to ensure not only we're in good shape, um, but that we're in good shape to serve every agency and to make sure they have the tools and the, and the support that they need. So one of my top priorities as director is to elevate OPM as a strategic human capital partner uh, for the federal government. And frankly, you know, again, this was a part of your recommendation. We can't do that without the partnership of the incredible Chico Council, which we brought back to OPM this past year. And so as chair of this council, I'm proud to be working in collaboration with the Chicos. As you know, I don't have to, uh, um, uh, I don't have to emphasize this as much, but I, because um, I know I'm speaking among friends and people who know uh, this community, but there's such an invaluable collaborative resource you know, Chico's help us spread the most promising human capital solutions across the federal government. They deliver vital advice and practical solutions and well-deserved influence within the federal workforce. And, you know, the council acts as a thought partner when considering the impact of personnel policies on agency talent and relationships. So that's the Chico Council. You know, one thing that we weren't anticipating as part of OPM, but I think we've really stepped into um, is serving as a co-leader on the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force. Um, our guidance has been pivotal in devising appropriate government actions to protect the federal workforce from COVID and in implementing those plans. You may have seen the headlines earlier this week that the federal government is at 96.5% compliance with the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine requirement for employees and contractors. Um, including civilian and military personnel. But you know, this policy has never just been about the numbers, though we are incredibly excited to see um, these kinds of numbers. It's always, always been about saving lives and protecting the federal workforce. And to keep the federal workforce um, and everyone safe, which is at the top of our list, what we've heard loud and clear this year is the importance of of, of supporting our workforce, of honoring them and all the work that um, they do every single day. And so we're very excited that we've reinstated the presidential rank awards that we're going to be announcing very, very soon. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, that's all the details I have, but it's coming very soon. Um, so that's you know a, a mix of what we've been doing at OPM. Again, you know a lot of work happening internally within the agency, really to set ourselves up for how we want to show up with agencies, um, how we really want to be a leader across the federal government, how we really want to take charge um, of the personnel agenda um, in the federal government. You know, I'm also proud to share efforts um, 
you know, with regard to what we're doing to rebuild um, our federal capacity. So with the recent infrastructure bill, um, it gives us a perfect example um, of the need that many agencies have to onboard quickly. The success of the infrastructure bill depends on a federal workforce that can implement and achieve results. That means that agencies will need to hire thousands of federal employees in a very short period of time. We recognize that this is a once in generation opportunity to rebuild the federal workforce and bring in the next generation of civil servants. So what I wanted to share with you, which we really haven't talked about um, in much detail publicly, is that we have assembled a tiger team with an OPM, a 30 person staff, from our oversight side of the shop, um, policy, human resources, the Chico Council. I'm trying to remember the last time we kind of all came together in such a in such a fashion, kind of you know moving towards a common mission. But we've um, organized ourselves inside the agency um, to really be able to respond and support um, the, the work that's going to be required um, for us to fulfill the mission of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. We're going to be helping agencies align their leadership, survey their respective workforce to identify needs, plan for sourcing and recruiting, um, integrating hiring flexibilities, and streamlining their talent search processes. Um, as a part of that, you know, we have been setting up not only uh, uh, you know kind of having the capacity within our agency to really support this work across the federal government. We've also been creating tools to make sure that we're setting up agencies for success. So all the agencies have received a strategic talent hiring questionnaire to specify their needs. We just released a search hiring playbook uh, that lays out, you know, all the things that we want agencies to engage in, you know, that's at their fingertips, the tools that they have right now, um, to really uh, um, move forward on the surge hiring. And also we're about to launch um, a USA job site to target key infrastructure hiring. So please look out for that and we'll definitely announce that, but that's the work that we're doing. Um, and that's because we're serving on the cabinet infra infrastructure implementation task force. Um, again, the goal is not just to build a federal workforce that meets the challenges for today. It really is about laying out a foundation for a federal government that will allow Americans to thrive for decades to come. And so in doing that, we, we see this as a real opportunity with this surge hiring, with what agencies need to do to deliver um, uh, related to the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. But we also are trying to see this as opportunities to bring in early career professionals um, who can offer fresh perspectives. Um, and other ways that we are doing that um, and I know we've talked about this before, for those of you who know government well, we've uh, put a lot of focus this year on the Presidential Management Fellowship Program. Uh, we had a huge increase of almost 20% um, in the applicant pool for this past year. Um, and so we're excited because that has correlated with a big push we've done among agencies um, to really make sure that those fellows have a place to land. Because as you know, it's a coveted, fellowship program and really brings in the best and brightest from around the country. We've also created hiring opportunities, both the post-secondary hiring authority, as well as in recent weeks, the college graduate hiring authority. Um, and then I don't wanna forget mentioning uh, the rehire regulation and the military spouse non-competitive hiring authority. So those are like 
all the things wrapped into uh, how we're thinking about ways to really streamline hiring and move things forward. And there's definitely more to come, um, but that's what we see as our accomplishments for 2021. Um, I do wanna also mention that um, another area which has been an additional effort that OPM has taken on and had a much increased focus um, has been our work focused on low wage workers and, 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 um, and unions. So, you know, a part of uh, not only trying to seek top talent, we want to make sure that, you know, we continue to promote the federal government as um, a good paying job, that we offer competitive job packages and rewarding careers. Um, so that's why we're committed to make sure that every federal job is a good job. The president has asked us to come up with recommendations to make sure that no federal employee earns less than $15 an hour, and we're going to deliver on that. And we're working to empower the collective voice of our workers by removing potential barriers to organizing. You may have seen that this past October, I joined Vice President Harris um, to launch an OPM-led government-wide effort to remove barriers um, and obstacles in federal workplaces that impede unions' ability to inform civil servants about their collective bargaining rights. Um, and those strategies will lay out ways that we should be connecting with union, connecting union and employees early on, um, especially when uh, individuals are onboarded, as well as you know, making sure they continue to receive information about, about their union rights. And again, this is really about doubling down on the fact that federal jobs have historically been a pathway to the middle class, um, and that's what we want to continue to build on. Kieran Ahuja, the Director of the Office of Personnel Management at an event the National Academy of Public Administration hosted. You can find a link to watch the entire presentation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The next Daily Scoop podcast is Monday afternoon, and coming next week, the former Secretary of the Air Force, now the Chair of the Defense Business Board, Deborah Lee James, and Congressman Jerry Connolly. That's all next week on the Daily Scoop podcast. Until then, I'm the host, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.